0: of peace, a life not of nerves because you're standing in front of people speaking, a life where you don't fear any man, woman, or living creature. How would you live with courage and peace? The definition of peace in the, bi- in the dictionary, variety of definitions, is an absence of conflict, turmoil, anxiety, or disturbances. Peace, according to the dictionaries, is an absence of those. But what we're talking about, what we experience in life, is more what that picture reflects. Turmoil, disturbances, anxiety face you every day. Peace is the confidence to stand in the midst of turmoil. These past few weeks, Jason has been talking about peace. He's been talking about abiding in Christ. Four weeks ago, he talked about grace. For by grace, we're saved through faith, not by works. Then after that, he talked about new life. This salvation by grace leads us to new life and a new creation. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus, created to do good works. And then he talked about two weeks ago from John 15 about abiding. I am the vine, you are the branches, if you remain in me, and I in you. And last week he talked about fruitfulness. By abiding in Christ, by remaining in him, and he in us, we will bear fruit. But what does that look like? What does a life of abiding in Christ look like? Horatio Spatford. He was a successful lawyer in Chicago in the 1870s, and 1800s. Very wealthy man. He had invested heavily in in real estate in Chicago. And he was a devout Christian. He was a friend of D.L. Moody's. And then over a period of three years, he suffered what would be very similar to the story of Job. He suffered three major losses in his life. The first one was the death of his son from scarlet fever. And then less than a year later, When the great Chicago fire swept through Chicago, he lost literally most of his fortune as it literally went up in smoke. And then two years after that, as he's rebuilding his business, rebuilding his fortune, he wants to join D.L. Moody on an evangelistic campaign over in England, and so they plan to go and join that, and at the last minute he has to stay behind for some business transactions. His wife and four daughters go ahead, and halfway across the Atlantic. Their ship is hit by another ship and it sinks in 12 minutes, killing 226 people, including his four daughters. His wife telegraphs him when she finally gets to England and says all lost, I survived. He gets on a ship and sails across to England to join his wife. And on the way going across, the captain tells him when he gets close to the coordinates of the sinking, says here's where you lost your daughters. And he stood at the railing for a long period of time, and he watched the sea billows. And then he went to his cabin, and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul." In the midst of personal tragedy, Horatio Spatford found peace. Well, not exactly true. It was not in the midst of personal tragedy that he found peace. The secret to his life of peace, the way that he could say, It is well with my soul, are in these words, You have taught me. To be taught takes time. Teaching is done over time. It is not simply giving mental assent to some facts. It's allowing those facts to become part of your fiber, part of your life, part of your being. For Horatio Spatford, it was a life spent abiding in Christ that brought him to a place where when, like Job, Satan had said to God, I bet you I can get him to curse you. He suffers great loss. He suffers turmoil. He suffers distress. But he's able to stand at the very spot where he lost his four daughters and say, you have taught me to say it is well. Psalm 23 gives a lesson about abiding in Christ. A life of peace without any need, without any fear, because... You are with me. Christ abides in you as you abide in him. (coughs) Sorry about that. Ah. (coughs) Movie trailers summarize the story and the plot line of of the movie. And in Lord of the Rings, as uh, scene after scene flashes across the screen and you hear the voice of Gandalf in that wonderful Oxfordian accent describe the story, these phrases flash past the screen. "Fate has chosen him. A fellowship will protect him. Evil will hunt him. In the same vein, Psalm 23 is a summary of the life lived in Christ, life abiding in Christ. It captures the assassin's the essential elements of that story, and is perhaps the best-known piece of scripture other than the Lord's Prayer. Today I want us to look at Psalm 23 through these lens. God has chosen you. Evil is hunting you. A fellowship will protect you. The first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. God has chosen you. Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners, while we were still outside his flock. Christ died for us, paid the price so we could become part of his flock. Almost 22 years ago, I chose Diane to be my wife. But that, my choosing her, was not enough. She also had to choose me. I think I'm the blessed one under that arrangement. This opening line reveals a two-way choice. Yes, God has chosen you to be his sheep, but notice it does not say, the Lord is a shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's declarative. I have made the choice to accept the fact that I am in the flock of the Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord is often pronounced Yahweh. To the Jews, it's so reverent that they don't actually speak it or write it. They simply call it the name. Because of what it means. It means the creator and sustainer of the universe. The one who spoke and everything came into being. I want you to think about that for a second. Meditate on that phrase. Yahweh the creator and sustainer of the universe has chosen you. Yahweh is your shepherd. You shall not want. When the creator of the universe is your shepherd, when his job is is to care for you you will lack nothing the entire universe all of creation has designed to be a suitable environment for God's masterpiece you did you see the blue flowers when you drove to church this morning they weren't there last year or last week God planted them for you. Yahweh is your shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sheep lying down are satisfied. When sheep are hungry, they stand and they eat grass. When they lay down, they chew their cud. They are satisfied, they are at peace. They ruminate on why the volume has gone down. (laughs) They ruminate. The mic is like that. There we go. How do you do this? How do you do this every week? Be at peace. (laughs) Sheep lying down are satisfied. They have been full. Take a walk through a field. I love the prayer that Colleen gave. She went for a hike yesterday. It's not in my notes here, but she observed all the different colors. For her, she observed the colors. For somebody else doing a hike through a field, they might look at the flowers. They might look at the different kinds of trees. Or Neville and Barb love birds. They will walk on the same hike that Colleen did, but they will listen to the different sounds. All of that was created for you. Take a walk and thank your Creator, your Savior, for the gifts that He's given you. Lay down in green pastures. Ruminate on what He has provided you. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep do not like moving water. So a good shepherd takes them and leads them beside quiet waters. Now the Hebrew word for lead in this verse... Because lead comes up in another verse. But the Hebrew word for lead in this verse is slightly different than it is in the other verse. In this verse, it means to take by the hand. The shepherd leads you by the hand to quiet waters. He restores my soul. The Hebrew word for soul in this verse is nefesh. It is the same word used in Genesis 2 when God breathed into humanity, the breath of life. You feel weary or stressed out by life? Yahweh, your shepherd, will breathe into you new life. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the big verse. Again, we get the word lead, only this time it's slightly different. Here, it means to guide or direct, direct, or to give instructions. Think of someone down at the ferry terminal who stops you and says, how do I get to Kaslo? There's two ways you can actually direct them, you can actually lead them. One is you can say, hey, you know what? I'm going up that way, follow me. That's taking them by the hand and leading them. The other way is to say, well, when you get right up there to the highway, you turn right, follow the highway. You can't miss it. You'll run into it. You'll go past Ainsworth, go straight through that little village. You'll go past Jones Boys and Woodbury, Go, keep on going. You'll go past Mirror Lake, and eventually you'll come down this hill and cross a stream, and it's Caslow, Giving you instructions how to get there. Incumbent in that verse, though, is the choice. You have the choice to choose to accept the instructions or not, to obey or to disobey. We have a choice whether we follow the shepherd's leading or not. The word name in this verse literally means reputation. God is holy. That doesn't change. That attribute of God does not change. But what does change is how do people see God. You are the only Jesus that some people will see. Yahweh, your shepherd, leads you, gives you instructions to walk in righteousness, to walk in the right way. Why? Because God's reputation depends on it. How you live, how you respond, good or bad, reflects on God when you are part of his flock. The key point in this, not just in this part, but in the entire sermon. If you forget everything else, but remember this alone, the key point is this: the creator of the universe has chosen you to be in his flock. He wants to be your shepherd. Jesus says, that if you follow him, you will be persecuted because he was persecuted. Evil will hunt you even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Shadows are not real. They are reflection of reality but they are not the truth. The shadow coming from the light, you can kind of just sort of see it a little bit on the stage. My shadow is not me. And if I turn just the right way, I kind of like my shadow because I look thinner. (laughs) This is me. This is the reality. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And how does he do that? He does that through lies, shadows, distortions of the truth just like the one in Eden in Eden in Genesis 3-4 he says to Eve you will not die for God knows that when you eat of the fruit your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil now the Bible tells us that the serpent, the devil is the father of lies but in that verse he spoke the truth they did not die. Their eyes were opened. They learned the difference between good and evil. The truth that is distorted is a lie. And the distortion in that verse was, you will be like God. The truth is they were made in God's image. They were already like God. They did not have to become like God. But the enemy said, you will become like God if you eat. And they ate, thinking that they were lacking something when in reality they were not lacking something. Here are some of the lies of the enemy versus the truth of the shepherd. You are a sinner. Yeah, I know you're a sinner saved by grace, but you're still a sinner. The shepherd says, You are my child. You are no longer a sinner. The enemy says that your past disqualifies your future or your present. You've done stuff back there that was bad. You've made mistakes. You've not followed through on the vision that God gave you. You screwed up. That's what the enemy says to you. The shepherd says, you've been released from the past. The past is in the past. You are released from the past. Why? So you can serve in the new way of the Spirit. The enemy says, you're not good enough to be a Christian. You haven't made enough changes in your life. You still have a bunch of bad habits. The shepherd says, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from acts that lead to death. You are good enough. You can serve me. (coughs) Fellowship will protect them protect you I will fear no evil for you are with me we fear no evil because the shepherd is with us he will guide us into all truth through the shadows through the distortions through the lies through the valley of the shadow of death and into the open plane of life on the oh. other side amen <laughs> it brings us it begins as a fellowship of one the shepherd has chosen you But you then choose the shepherd. But it is a distortion to think that God calls you into fellowship only with Christ. He calls you into fellowship as an individual, but he calls you into fellowship to become part of a flock. This is a photo of my Bobs, my band of brothers guys that were at the men's breakfast a couple months ago know about this. I talked about these guys. These are guys that I, in Calgary, have spent every week, every Friday morning at 6 o'clock, 6.30 we would meet. For 20 years we did that. Over a period of time we developed friendships that allowed them to hold me accountable. That also allowed them to sort of give me the courage to stand in the midst of difficulties. Two of these guys, the rest of us have stood with as they have buried their wives due to cancer. We stood with them. These guys stood with me, first off when I married Diane, but secondly, they stood with me when Diane and I buried our son. These guys call me when I'm on a business trip and say, what's on TV? They hold me accountable. These guys have my back. And just so that we don't think we're too sexist, guys, we have a band of brothers. But ladies, you have a boss. You have a band of sisters. It begins with a fellowship of one. One draws us into a fellowship of others. Colossians 3 says in the message, Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune and in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. You are not called to be a lone sheep. You are called to be part of a flock. Let the word of God have run of your life. Instruct and direct each other with it. As a new Christian, the enemy may say to you, and rightly so, that you can't be a Christian because you don't know enough about the Bible. You've not experienced enough about this walk, so you're inadequate. Well, that's where the rest of us have a job to do. You are called in relationship to the shepherd, but you're called into a flock. The shepherd cares for you and provides for you, but so does the rest of the flock. The more experienced Need to teach the less experienced. It's called discipleship, or to use a more modern term, it's called mentoring, and it is the lifeblood of the life abiding in Christ. Your rod and staff comfort me. A rod is a short little stick, the staff is a long little stick. The shepherd had both, and they served two different purposes. The rod was used as they walked, as the sheep was brought into the pen at night, he would count them one, two, three as they passed under the rod. He also used the rod to move back the wool that was matted together to see if there's any sticks or insects or other stuff within the sheep that would cause disease and he would pluck them out. The staff was a longer stick, usually had a little hook on it and it was used to grab a sheep that's wandering away, to kind of direct the sheep together. And occasionally, if one sheep is acting up, eating too much food, or is nipping at one of the other sheep, the staff was used to kind of reach over and go bop on the head. The rod and the staff were not necessarily warm, fuzzy, pleasant, wonderful, easy feelings for the sheep, but the writer says, they comfort me. The comfort he speaks of is not the comfort of ease, but the comfort of discipline. (laughs) The shepherd will discipline us, guide us, correct us, care for us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The word table in the Hebrew has three different meanings. One of them is simply a table, like that, the physical structure. But in this context, it has a double meaning. The first one means the food prepared and put on the table, the feast. And the second one is... The gathering of people around that table that enjoy it. This section, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The shepherd brings and brings into the flock more sheep. The flock is the fellowship, the common unity that we have in Christ that protects us. It is being prepared and expanded for us in the midst of a world that wants to destroy the church. We see the shepherd growing his church, growing his flock. Yet it's more than just fellowship. It's a feast. It's a meal. And what could that meal be? The word of God is often referred to as the bread. And in this metaphor, it would fit the case. Our enemies are anything that hinders us from coming to the table prepared for us, that hinder us from reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God. Jason talked a couple weeks ago about how do you abide in Christ? How do you bear fruit? By reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God. Your shepherd has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You anoint my head with oil. The practice of anointing conveys authority. When God anoints you, Yahweh your shepherd anoints you it is divine authority that's being conveyed throughout scripture people were anointed as a means of setting them apart a couple months ago Colleen Nanachuk was here and we anointed her not with oil we anointed her by gathering around her and laying hands on her and praying for her she's now in Argentina but she's part of our flock she's part of the fellowship this fellowship protects her those of you that know her well, understand she's been there for a week. Stuff is new for her down there, and it's still good, and it's still exciting. But here's the thing. In a couple of weeks, that excitement and that newness will start to wear off. This flock, those of you that know Colleen, have a responsibility. Send her an email. Send her a note. Encourage her. Let her not forget that she, it, while there she is still part of this flock. After feasting, enjoying the fellowship of the church and and teaching from scripture, we're able to enter into service. But what kind of service? Look around you. At the flock the shepherd has placed you in. See a need. And if you don't see a need, ask the shepherd to show you a need. Because this flock has needs. Look around and ask the shepherd to show you what those needs are. And that is your call to service. You have been anointed to meet that need. James 2, 15-17 says, For example, you come upon someone dressed in rags and half-starved, and you say to them, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you walk away doing nothing without taking them lunch or taking them for lunch or giving them the good clothes that you have in your closet that you haven't worn for years. Okay, I put that in there, but you get the gist. What good is that? It's obvious that God talk without God's work is outrageous nonsense. It is not enough to abide in Christ. You abide in Christ to do good works. My cup runs over, overflows is another way of putting it. I love that because it doesn't say my cup is full. It says my cup overflows. You're at a table prepared for you in the presence of your enemy And your cup is there. It is a chalice. And the person comes, the shepherd comes with the pitcher of drink. And he pours it. And it gets to the top. And he keeps pouring it. And he keeps pouring it. Your cup is pressed down, shaken together, overflowing onto the table. It's coming onto your lap. It's flowing down onto the floor. Your cup is not full. It runs over. Everything you need, it runs over. When we set our hearts to service, to looking for the needs in the flock and looking to others and what they need, we will discover that God's provision for us is more than we need. God will bless you abundantly, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, notice it doesn't say most of the time, in some things, you might have everything. It says all things, all times, all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The end of the story. This last verse changes the motif. It's no longer talking about sheep and shepherds. No longer talking to the shepherd. It's simply the writer saying the summary. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell, I will abide in the house of the Lord forever. It speaks of our present hope. A hope that we have here today a future truth, a future reality. We are not abiding in the house of the Lord right now. We are abiding here in a world where an enemy hunts us. But we have the hope that as we abide in the shepherd, as we stay in the flock, we will live forever in the house of Yahweh. It is the epilogue of the story, but it's also the climax of the story. The essence of the story in Psalm 23, indeed the essence of the story of our life abiding in Christ, is that of transformation. We were sheep, but now we dwell in the house of the Lord. When the Lord is our shepherd, when we respond to his call on us, when we walk in the presence of the fellowship that protects us, our lives will become transformed. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Have you no other daughters? asked the prince. No, said the man. There's there's a little stunted kitchen wench which my late wife left behind her. She can't be the bride. The prince said he was to send her up to him, but the stepmother answered, Oh, no, she's much too dirty. She cannot show herself. But the prince insisted on it, and Cinderella had to be called. She came. She bowed down before the prince and he gave her the glass slipper. She drew her foot out from the heavy wooden shoe and put it into the slipper, which fit like a glove. The prince looked at her face. He recognized the beautiful maiden that he had danced with and cried, This is the true bride! the stepmother and stepsisters were horrified and became pale with rage. The prince, however, took Cinderella on his horse and rode away. Abiding in Christ accepting that our, is accepting that our home is not here. A life of peace, a fruitful life of abiding in Christ is found when we accept that the present life is not our true calling, that the creator and sustainer of the universe wants to abide with us to be our shepherd forever. You are the true bride. The spirit and the bride say, come. Your shepherd says, I am coming soon. God, we thank you that you give us this hope. Help us to let it become ingrained in our lives. That it is as much a part of our life as the very breath that you give us. Amen.